love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. Coming up in this episode of The Box of Oddities, the London Necropolis Railway. It's creepy and it's hard to say. And then... Selective vision. Our brains are weird, guys. The Box of Oddities. If it's weird, we'll talk about it. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. Kat uh, has been diligently working to get us ready to uh, for our big move. Our lease is up, as we had mentioned before, the middle of July. And uh, I had a bit of a meltdown uh, maybe a week ago or so <laughs> because she, she took some pictures down in the living room and I wasn't expecting it. And I, yeah, it was, it was uncomfortable. And I think maybe... If I'd been prepared for it, mm-hmm. I would have responded in a more healthy way. Right. But uh, as it turns out, I just went into my bedroom, uh, laid down on the uh, floor in the fetal position and just rocked back and forth. <laughs> you just weren't ready for that part of the packing process. I guess I thought we would pack things that I wouldn't notice as much. That's what I've been doing for the past two months. Yes. Well, I was in Maine for a few days. I came back and everything looked the same in the apartment. But when I started looking for things, oh, okay, well, those pots and pans are gone. Mm -hmm. So you've been sneak packing. Well, I thought that that might be easier for you. And uh, apparently... It is. Absolutely necessary. Yeah. I don't know what it is. I hate moving. Yeah. That's part of it. But uh, I don't know. It just, it feels uncomfortable to me when there's nothing on the walls. Mm -hmm. It's actually starting to look a little bit weird because this bedroom that we are currently recording in, Mm -hmm. everything is exactly the same. Nothing has changed. Nothing's been packed because you spend most of your time in here. You do your work in here, we record in here, sleep in here, so everything's the same. But the rest of the apartment is in shambles <laughs> and packed away. But this is like your little sanctuary where everything's the same. Everything's comfortable in here. <laughs> this will be the last stuff packed. 
I find it interesting the things that, that you do pack and uh, the things that we get rid of. I know that when we moved here from Maine a couple of years ago, I was unpacking some boxes and uh, you had packed a used jack-o'-lantern carving kit that we bought for like $1.50. It's important stuff. I also found a partially eaten Nutty Buddy bar, one of those little Debbie things. That was by accident and you know it. I was in the middle of... <laughs> Of packing stuff and it fell off the counter and I couldn't find where it went. And so, yes, it made the trip to Florida <laughs> with us. But that was an accident. The jack-o'-lantern kit is absolutely on purpose and will be coming with us on our next move. I fear that some of the stuff that might end up uh, being moved to Ecuador is going to get flagged by customs there. Like the time that uh, I got pulled out at the airport and taken into a back hangar somewhere and forced to open the luggage because there was suspicious stuff in there and it was your oversized can of dry shampoo spray. We've also been pulled aside for those packs of makeup removing wipes. Apparently it looks like plastic explosives or something. <laughs> and just recently, when I was coming back from Maine, I was pulled aside by TSA for our travel microphone. Yeah, that's a pretty common one. The way that it's packed in its case, it looks like a firearm, like one of those really fancy 1960s assassin pistols. So I've got to go to Maine in a couple of days, and I'm taking that mic with me. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering... Maybe I can snag a photo of the x-ray machine when it goes through to Ooh, see cool. what it looks like. If they'd let you. Yeah. I'll try to be real sneaky about it. JK, I'm not sneaky about anything in an airport. Not anymore. Huh. It was a dark night and a storm was raging. I already like where this is going. <laughs> it was in the town of Brookwood in England and it was eerily quiet. The residents had long since retired for the night, seeking refuge from the raging storm outside, but something was about to happen that would shake the town to its core. As the clock struck midnight, or close to it, it was actually like 11.40, but it sounded more dramatic if I wrote it uh, as the clock struck midnight. Right, absolutely. A mournful wail pierced the silence. Wow, you are really getting into this. Did you get a thesaurus recently? It, well, I've had a thesaurus. It's just I don't use it much, and I figured I better get my money's worth before you pack it for Ecuador. Um, the sound... Chilled people to the bones. It sent shivers down the spine of anyone who heard it. Some said it was the sound of the wind whistling through the trees, but others knew better. They knew that it was the sound of the ghost train. The legend of the ghost train has been passed down through generations. It was said that on stormy nights like this one, a train would appear out of nowhere traveling along the old London Necropolis railway line. The train was said to be haunted by the spirits of the dead, and it was said that anyone who saw it would be cursed for life. Oh. We're exploring today the, the dark history of the London Necropolis Railway. Necropolis, on its own, is a creepy word because it sounds a lot like words that mean dead things. It absolutely means dead things. Let me explain. In the mid-19th century, London was faced with a growing problem the lack of burial space. They were using mostly churchyards at the time. And this was before the advent of park-like cemeteries that we now recognize and see worldwide. The cemeteries were overcrowded. They were unsanitary. 
and it led to a spread of diseases. There was a cholera outbreak that was really causing some issues about this time in London. To address the issue, the London Necropolis Company was formed. Ah, yes, the LNC. They decided to build a private railway and railway is very hard for me to say. I always want to say railway. We've really struggled with that in the past, yeah. So they founded this private railway to transport the deceased and the mourners to Brookwood Cemetery in Surrey, which was the largest cemetery in the world at the time. The railway was built in response to the lack of burial space that London was experiencing and the need for more efficient sanitary ways to transport diseased corpses. And at the same time, the mourners to the cemetery for the uh, internment ceremony. It was like a shuttle. It was like a corpse shuttle. It consisted of two stations, one at Waterloo and the other at uh, Brookwood. The station at Waterloo was located behind the main station and had a separate entrance for the funeral trains. And the station at Brookwood had two platforms, one for the funeral trains and the other for regular passenger trains. But the line itself that was used was a dedicated uh, line or set of tracks that only the Necropolis Railway used. The funeral trains themselves were specially designed to carry coffins and mourners at the same time. They were painted black And they had glass panels on the sides so the mourners could see the passing scenery. The trains were equipped with heating and ventilation systems to ensure that the coffins and the mourners uh, were all kept in the best possible condition during this uh, journey. It sounds kind of nice. I think it had great intentions. The committee had great intentions when they put it together. I feel like there's a but coming. There's always a but coming. The London Necropolis Railway, the, the LNR, was not without controversy. Oh. Some people criticized it for being kind of a macabre and insensitive way to transport the deceased. To me, it sounds like it would be regal and noble. Others objected to the fact that the railway was only accessible to the wealthy, as the cost of a funeral and train journey was beyond the means of most people. Ah, yes. The Necropolis Railway was railway just for the wealthy. was absolutely for the wealthy. The railway operated for nearly 90 years. It transported, listen to this, in 90 years, it transported over 200,000 corpses to Brookwood Cemetery, including many notable figures like uh, the scientist uh, Michael Faraday and the writer William Thackeray. However, with the advent of motorized funeral transport, once uh, motorized hearses came to be, It gradually fell into disuse. The maintenance wasn't kept up on it. It was looking kind of raggedy. And uh, it finally closed in 1941 during World War II. Okay. But for 90 years, nearly, it transported dead bodies to the cemetery. Now, as I'm sure you're expecting, Mm -hmm. there are many eerie stories associated with the Mm -hmm. railway Mm -hmm. (laughs) that linger to this day. Wingoing railway stories. It was said that (laughs) the trains were haunted by the spirits of the dead and the strange thing, very strange things would happen on board. Some mourners claimed to have seen apparitions while others heard strange noises and felt sudden drops in temperature. As the years and the decades went on, these experiences became more and more frequent. 
Some of the eerie stories associated with the railway also include the legend of the ghost train. This is probably the biggest legend or unusual experience that uh, people have had. According to the legend, on this dark night, while it was raining in Brookwood, a train traveling along the line when it just suddenly, according to eyewitnesses, disappeared into thin air. It was as if the train had never existed and no one could explain what happened to it. It's believed that the ghost train may still be traveling along the line carrying the spirits of the dead. Very haunted mansion. Now, this might surprise you, but there are those that don't believe this. They scoffed at those who did. One such person was a guy who identifies himself only as Jack. He describes his recent encounter of what happened to him. Now, he'd always been skeptical of ghost stories, and he thought the legend of the ghost train was nothing more than myth. It was a rainy night in the town of Brookwood, where Jack lives, and he decided to take a little walk to clear his head. He wandered down uh, the empty streets of the town, enjoying the peace and the quiet. And as he neared the old railway line, he heard a sound that made him stop in his tracks, if you'll pardon the expression. It was the mournful wail of a train. Now, this track had not been used for decades. And so he thought it was just his imagination playing tricks on him. But as the sound grew louder, he realized that this was real. He looked down the line and he saw a faint light in the distance. As it drew closer, he could see that it was, in fact, a train and it was heading right at him. He went on to tell people that he tried to run, but his legs wouldn't move. He was frozen in place, staring at the approaching train. As it got closer, he could see it was a train that was painted black with large glass windows and was adorned with funeral wreaths. Now, this blew his mind because nothing like that had traveled on the tracks since the early 40s. Right. And this account comes from uh, 2004. As the train grew closer, it suddenly screeched to a halt near where Jack was standing. And the doors of the carriages opened, and he said he could see faces of mourners dressed in black and weeping. He then saw something that made his blood run cold. He saw, he claims, a coffin floating in midair. He said he tried to scream, but no sounds would come out. Mm. The mourners climbed out of the train and surrounded him. Their faces twisted in grief, is how he described it, with the coffin floating closer. He said he could see that the coffin was open, and inside was the face of a woman who was obviously dead. She was pale and lifeless. Then the train just faded away, as if it had never been there at all as did the mourners and the floating coffin. Jack was just standing there alone in the middle of a deserted railway line. He knew that he had just seen the ghost train and that his life would probably never be the same again. I know it wouldn't be for me if I witnessed something like that. I don't think I'd ever go to sleep ever again. (laughs) So this is a a guy who believes that the ghost train exists. Yes, he didn't until this experience. Right, but he he does now. Mm-hmm. He's unidentified and he's sharing a story claiming that that's how he became a believer of the ghost train. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this clearly falls into the category of urban legend, but this is what Jack claims he witnessed. Mm-hmm. And from that day on, he was plagued by strange occurrences. He said he would hear that mournful wail of the ghost train at night. He said that he would see the faces of those mourners in his dreams. When he would go to sleep, they would just pop up 
in his dreams. He thought a lot about the story of the curse of the ghost train. And uh, this, of course, I think compounded his fear. Sure. He was afraid he would never be free from its grip. And so the legend of the ghost train lives on, passed down through generations. It's said that it's just a myth or an urban legend, like I was saying, but those who have seen it know better, or so they say. Mm -hmm. They know the ghost train is real, and that it would always be part of the dark history of the London Necropolis Railway. Today, the site of Waterloo Station is occupied by the entrance to the National Theater. While the Brookwood Station building still stands, although it is now used for other purposes. It's probably a Starbucks or something. (laughs) The railway tracks have now been removed, but some of the original platforms and the waiting rooms can still be seen at Brookwood Cemetery. That's kind of cool. Brookwood Cemetery is a place that I would love to go. It's just so old and historic. Well, we were hoping to plan a England trip for next year, so maybe that can be one of our stops. Yeah, we can plan an England trip. and go see the spooky railway. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, 
it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. And now, that thing in the middle. The oldest recorded message is from an ancient Sumerian text called The Instructions of Sherupik. This 4,500-year-old text reads, quote, Do not pass judgment when you're drinking beer. Advice that echoes down through the ages. I used the phrase, into thin air, and you just remarked. You actually sent me a text that that said, into thin air, question mark. And that was because you wanted to know the origin of that phrase. Yeah, that's how my brain works constantly. I'm like, what? where's that come from? Well, What's I, that about? I looked, how do you even spell that? I looked it up for you. Thank you. And like so many phrases that we use today, it has uh, its roots in Shakespeare, in The Tempest, Prospero says, quote, These our actors, as I foretold you, were all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. Oh, so it was a reference to ghosts. Yes. Huh. Shakespeare's come up a lot this week. That's has interesting. It? Yeah. For example. Well, M was talking about the Scottish play. Oh, yes, that's right. And they're yeah. part of the episode. And. Is it the origins of the name Jessica? No, yes, well, maybe? that that came from, from Shakespeare, as did the, the phrase green-eyed monster. Like envy is a green-eyed en- monster? Yeah, Got it, okay. Right, right. Love is blind in a pickle. Wear my heart on my sleeve. There's the rub. Wild goose chase and cruel to be kind, which is a hit record from the early 80s Gotta by British kind. alternative new wave musician Nick Lowe. That was an 80s song? 79.80. Cruel to be kind. Ba, 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 that one? Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Um, You know, I appreciate all the information that you just handed over to me. It felt very much like a thing in the middle. It's a bonus thing in the middle. I loved it. Phantom Photos sent us a message on Instagram. Boo-ish effect. I came across this after listening to the latest episode in which Kat talks about the cute little fairy penguins. The clumsy penguin sounds like a name for a great pub, right? Anyway, (laughs) on a second note, when I took a month in solo travel in Australia 10 years ago, I went to Phillips Island to see a colony of the adorable little penguins. I wasn't able to take photos because it was against regulations, but I can tell you, I sat watching until the bus was leaving. I was in love. They are adorable, and they make the cutest sounds. Thanks for all the weirdness. You make me very happy. We got another email from uh, Gina in New Zealand. She writes, better go to the National Aquarium of New Zealand. You're going to want to know more about the little penguin program there. They have a, quote, naughty and, quote, nice penguin of the month program. And you can vote for the penguin of the year annually. She goes on to say, I know the penguins by name, their characteristics and foibles. I was so excited when Dora won last year. It was borderline ridiculous. (laughs) 
No judgment here because I know the manatees at Epcot by name. That's true. Shout out to little Joe. Mr. Max sent us an email too uh, regarding penguins. He wrote, with being a penguin lover and Kat's recent topic, I thought it fitting to wish you a happy world penguin day. Also, I'm autistic, and between JG recently talking about various scientific research and autistic people's attachments to inanimate objects, I thought you might get a kick out of another research article headline, and he includes the link, and the headline for the topic is, Object Personification in Autism. This paper will be very sad if you don't read it. Thanks, Mr. Mack. Always a delight. My face just got hot. I laughed so hard. That's called hot face laughing syndrome. Yeah, that's been happening to me a lot lately. I saw a TikTok the other day that made me laugh so hard, and I came in to share it with you, and you were like, yep, that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, you, you got into that silly phase laugh where... Just the idea that you're laughing makes you laugh, and then the idea of not laughing makes you laugh, and it's like this vicious, it's, it's, like, it's like a dog chasing its tail. I was crying. I couldn't stop. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well... I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. More fun than a Civil War reenactment without the smell of fried chicken, sweaty wool, and sunscreen. This is The Box of Oddities. Would you perhaps have a story for me, my love? I do. I would love to hear it. So it's like how you can't see your nose came up the other day (laughs) while we were doing an episode. And it's always been something that interested me. And we've talked about this kind of thing before, but I thought we'd, we'd get into it a little bit. It's called unconscious selective attention. So your nose is always within view of your eyeballs. It's in your periphery, but you don't always see your nose because your brain filters it out. It's incredible. 
and the brain has several mechanisms to filter out your nose. Firstly, the nose obstructs a portion of the visual field in both eyes. So the brain processes the information transmitted by the eyes and constructs a complete image from the unobstructed information. So you feel like you can see all of your field of vision, but you really can't because so your kind of, nose is in the way. So the brain filters that out somehow. Yeah, and then fills it in with what it thinks it should be seeing. God, it's fascinating. It really is. It's, like, it's like some of that AI photographic uh, upscaling technology where they take a, a grainy picture that was photographed 100 years ago and uh, use AI technology and it becomes like this high resolution you could see the pores on the nose of the person whose picture was taken a hundred years ago it somehow understands how it would look and how it should look and it fills in the blanks oh well that's kind of dangerous i would think oh yeah well ai is gonna completely take over (laughs) society and uh, we're gonna be a slave to it all hail our robot overlords. Um, you can see your nose, by the way, if you close one of your eyes and then close the other one and then look down. I mean, yeah. there it is yeah. right there. There it is. But just in your regular everyday, it's the same function that allows people who wear glasses to not see the frames of their glasses all the time. Interesting. Yeah. Secondly, the nose is located in the peripheral vision, as I mentioned, so it's naturally less noticeable. And thirdly, the nose is positioned very close to the eyes, so it makes it out of focus because generally you're looking at things much further away than your nose. Mm -hmm. The brain is an efficient and calculating machine, and it continually tries to improve that efficiency. So there's so much information, an incredible amount of data in our environment, and it includes visual and auditory stimuli, internal thoughts and memories, as well as olfactory input and body sensations. If our brains didn't practice unconscious selective attention, we would be so overwhelmed all the time with sensory input that we wouldn't be able to function. It's like Lambda said in that AI segment that I did, that uh, she perceives information in 360 degrees all of the time. Right. When we particularly want to use a sense, our brain focuses on it and we start to acknowledge mm. the sensory information. But if you were always feeling everything that you're feeling, mm. it would be wild. And there are probably people that have some kind of a neurological condition that limits their ability to filter a lot of that stuff out. Sure. But what you said about how the brain is always striving to improve and, and to understand what it's seeing mm. reminds me of an article that I just uh, saw recently. About AI? No, no. <laughs> about 3D technology and the history of it and where it is now compared to where it was when it became initially popular back in the 50s. The 3D effect is created by two separate images. Uh, In the early days, one was tinted red and one was tinted blue, and you would put on the glasses with a red filter and a blue filter, Mm -hmm. and they were offset, the images were a little bit, and that created the three-dimensional effect. But when you looked at the screen without the glasses, it's blurry and you see multiple images. They have a a system now that, 
instead of the tinting one red and one blue, the, the two images are still offset a little bit, but they're separated by frame rate. So when you put the glasses on, you see the 3D event, but when you don't wear them, it still looks like a two-dimensional picture. Oh, wow, that's really cool. It's really cool. And again, it, it speaks to how the brain can fill it in and is always looking to improve the experience. Yeah. There are lots of examples of how we practice selective attention in our everyday life. If you are, for instance, having a conversation in a cafe, but you know there's a lot of noise going on around you, you're able to focus on that singular conversation. Right. Though sometimes some some other people's conversations might be a little more interesting, you know. So. <laughs> Most of the time with <clears throat> us, yeah. If you are reading a book while uh, someone else in the same room as watching TV and you can focus on that. I'm not particularly no, good at that. Me neither. Not something I enjoy. Mm -mm. Another great example of something super simple that does require your brain to selectively pay attention is driving and listening to an audiobook or something you right. know, on the radio. Right. So that's unconscious selective attention. Inattentive vision, on the other hand, refers to situations where attention is not directed toward any particular aspect of the visual scene. And this can happen when you are not actively looking for anything specific or when your attention is divided between multiple tasks. For example, if you are talking on the phone and you might miss a stop sign while you're driving. Overall, the main difference between selective and inattentive vision is the level of attention and focus on a specific aspect of the visual environment. The term inattentional blindness was coined by Aaron Mack and Irvin Rock to describe the results of their extensive studies in the visual perception of unexpected objects. So in daily life, we don't experience this phenomenon often, but in laboratories, scientists use a special type of goggles that project separate images in each eye. For instance, one eye might see a face while the other sees an elephant. The question is whether we perceive two images simultaneously or a blend of the two. And the answer is really neither. The hmm. conscious experience alternates between seeing a face and then an elephant rather than a combination of the two. Your brain goes, okay, let's take a look at this one. And now we'll take a look at this one. The unconscious process that screens the image is unpredictable, but it does make a definite selection. In some trials of their experiment, one eye was shown a neutral picture like a lamp and the other eye was shown a scene of bloody violence or something of that nature. And then in another trial, it was something neutral and something sexual. The subject's conscious experience of the pictures flipped back and forth, as I said, like with the elephant. But scenes of sex and violence were much more likely to be the first ones seen. And they occupied the consciousness much longer. Yeah, yeah, that's not surprising. What's the science behind that? Uh, s survival? I would assume, especially with the violence, you want to mm. make sure that you're, hey, what's, what's going on over there? Violence and reproduction are kind of two of the most... Survival. Survival-based mm. things that, yeah, our primal instinct is, look, there comes a caveman with a rock, look, boobies eloquently put. Thank you. Angry men, snakes, other things that your brain might understand as dangerous get priority in your selective vision. It's just a basic self-defense mechanism. 
It works the same way with audio input. If you are sitting on a park bench and you overhear a couple talking about something, let's say, you know, a mother-in-law who doesn't respect boundaries or whatever, and you're kind of like, all right, what's, uh, what's going on with this story, right? <laughs> and, but then you hear a dog growl, your attention is absolutely going to be directed toward the growling dog. You protect yourself. Right. In studies by Nesser, observers were given two distinct superimposed videos of people performing simple actions, such as passing a basketball or playing a hand slapping game. When observers focused attention on one of the events, they often failed to notice an unexpected event occurring in the other. For example, when asked to count the number of times that several people passed a basketball while ignoring the hand slapping game, they often failed to notice when the people in the hand-slapping game stop and shook hands or high-fived. And recent replications of that study by Simmons and Chabri showed that such sustained inattentional blindness occurs even when the unexpected object is fully visible and the displays are not superimposed. So in this study, participants were asked to count basketball passes, like in the other study, but players were wearing white shirts and black shirts, and they were told to just focus on the players wearing the white shirts. Under these conditions, approximately 50% of observers failed to notice when a person in a gorilla suit entered the display, <laughs> stopped, faced the camera, and thumped their chest. That would be the first thing I would notice. No matter what I'm doing, I would be, ooh, monkey. <laughs> Not according to this study. Our brains are very good at saying, this is what we're focused on. This is what we're doing. Typically, not always. Some yeah. people's brains are very different. Yeah, I can do some of that, but I can't say railway <laughs> without really focusing on it. You, I think, are a great example of how exactly this does work. Because I can have a full-on conversation with you <laughs> and you'll go, hmm, <laughs> that's that's true that is very true and i'll be like hey what did i just say to you and you're like uh something about dogs and cheese <laughs> the cheese checks the cheese checks yeah that's the one yeah According to the spotlight theory of visual attention, people can attend to one region of space in a time. This metaphor of attention as a spotlight assumes a limited degree of flexibility. People can shift their spotlight of attention from location to location. In the same way that we say, what does this feel like? And we feel it. And we think, what am I hearing? And we listen for it. The brain is also able to adjust the size of the attended region like a zoom lens. But the theory assumes that the attentional spotlight can't be divided across multiple locations. And there are a lot of studies right now investigating whether or not that's true. If the brain can split that spotlight and go this and this. Mm. But it seems like if it would align with the information we got from the study regarding elephants in one eye and something else in another eye, that we would switch back and forth like turn the spotlight on this, turn the spotlight on that. But it's hard to say if that function of the brain would work differently than a different sensory function of the brain. I wonder how this would apply to my, my Echo Man ability. That's a really interesting question. For those of you who aren't familiar with my Echo Man ability, 
We've done this in some live shows. You can take something, anything, and read it to me, and I can repeat it back to you almost immediately, like a word or less behind. While that person is still reading you something. Yeah. So it's a... Conti- I, it's a disconnect. I am so bad at what you can do. Like, I am so inept in the skill of Echo Man, mm-hmm. which you have yeah. in spades. Yeah that I can't even be the person reading the thing that you're repeating because Because I get all fucked up. Yeah. Let's demonstrate it. Oh, geez. Okay. And I have no idea what Kat's going to read and I can't see what's on her screen. I'm going to try my best to to do this. Okay. Okay. Tell me when you're ready. I'm already nervous. Oh, geez. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Lil Joe plays the fans with star power, dripping charisma, athletically buff at 1,800 pounds and flashing his quintessentially quintessentially cute manatee mug. mug. But uh, that's enough. It's good because I was. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I I think the difference is I automatically shift to listening to what you're saying Mm -hmm. and you automatically shift to ignoring me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's how our relationship works. <laughs> anyway, that's just a little bit about, I mean, there's, we could dive into this for so long because the brain is bananas, but that's a little bit about selective vision or inattentive vision. That's crazy um, that I interesting. Maybe kind of interesting. Crazy interesting. I got this information from Scholarpedia, Science Direct, NIH.gov. It's an article called The Role of Selective Attention on Academic Foundations, a Cognitive Neuroscience Perspective. That article was so flipping far over my head <laughs> that I had to, I mean, I can't even express to you how many times I had to reread that freaking thing. Um, Scientific American and Helpful Professor, which was a lot more easy for me to understand. I think it's made for elementary school kids. <laughs> Our website is theboxofoddities.com. You can find all kinds of stuff there. When we go back out on the road to do live shows, that's where the uh, tour schedule is kept. Hopefully, we'll do something like that again soon. We both, I think, are very excited to get back out on the road again after we saw And That's Why We Drink at the, mm-hmm. at the Improv in West Palm. You can also check out our merch store. Box of oddities, pretty much everything from underpants to coffee mugs to T-shirts to blankets to whatever. I don't think there's underpants. They're boxer shorts. I think they're boxer shorts. Maybe that's a dream I had. The boxer shorts of oddities. (laughs) (laughs) And you can also support the podcast by becoming a patron. Join the Order of Freaks. You get ad-free episodes. You get Zoom calls every month. You get all kinds of really cool stuff, depending upon what level of support you elect. Theboxofoddities.com. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash Box of Oddities Podcast. On Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.
If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.